And today I want to speak of the problem of church and churches, of Christianity and other faiths, because this is also an element of our questioning at times of doubt and certainly for many of twilight. For some there is no problem. All the problems are resolved in the idea that orthodoxy is the truth, all the truth, and there is no truth outside of it, that there is no knowledge of God outside of it, that there is no real life in God or with God apart from it. It gives to those people who believe that way a sense of assurance, of confidence, of certainty in their own salvation. I have quoted to you last time this letter of a deacon from the Ukraine who said to me that he cannot understand how I do not believe that only the members of the Orthodox Church will enter eternal life. I pointed out last time on that subject that it is really a question of understanding what it means to be a member of the Orthodox Church. To take without thought, without understanding the truth except in the creed, presented in the creed and in the writings of the spiritual guides of Orthodoxy, without understanding is not enough to be an Orthodox and to proclaim the Orthodox faith. And least of all, it is enough to proclaim these things without living up to them. So that I will leave today this question aside, as I have sufficiently expounded on it last time. And I want to present you with the problem of the dividedness in Christendom. This comes particularly aptly now because last week on Saturday and Sunday there has been a gathering at Windsor of representatives of the various Christian churches at which Bishop Basil represented us in which something was discussed which could have been a boring repetition of what we have heard endlessly, the question of our separatedness and of what unites us, and of the possibilities of coming ever closer together. But it was not like this. For once something has happened, a sort of crack has occurred, a breakthrough, because the conclusion of the meeting was that the, the going on of these discussions was no longer useful. 
all the elements of the discussion had been uh, examined. All the points have been discussed. And yet, no progress has been made except in those bodies who, I believe wrongly, have shrugged their shoulders and said, what do all these declarations and all these formulations matter? Let us be together because we are all disciples of Christ. There is a great deal of truth in that approach, but it is not sufficient. And I want to uh, speak a little on that subject. So far, we have been discussing between the various churches the formulations that separate us, trying to find out the rootedness in Holy Scripture, particularly in the Gospel, or in the writings of the spiritual fathers and the tradition of the Church. And it always was a comparison between statement against statement. The progress which I see is occurring now is that while we continue, of course, to examine the statements and ask questions about them, we are prepared to move beyond it. And I want to make a digression at this point. Many, many years ago, Professor Leo Zander, who was a Russian theologian, a faithful disciple of Father Sergei Bulgakov in Paris, wrote a book, Vision and Action, in which, among other things, he examines the question of our, the way in which the various Christian bodies got split separated from one another, distanced themselves from each other, and what next? And the way he describes it, I found both interesting and convincing when, together with Lossky, Florovsky, Bulgakov, Berdyaev, and other of these great names, I found myself for the first time in an ecumenical context in this country about 55 years ago. What he says is this. What happens between people is that they live a life in communion as long as they are linked with one another with mutual love, mutual respect, and mutual interest in the way in which the other one thinks and expresses himself. But a moment may come when the way in which two persons express their experience is so different from one another that they do not recognize the same experience in the two formulations. To begin with, they discuss. Later they argue. Later on, they feel they are separated more and more because the more they argue, the more they bring in intellectual considerations instead of speaking of a deeply rooted experience in God himself. 
and the moment comes when they feel they don't belong together anymore. And Zander has an expression which impressed me very much then. They turn their backs on one another. They still can feel their shoulder blades, blades touching each other. And yet, because they look in opposite directions, they are infinitely far from each other. They don't see one another anymore. They are moving away into infinity. And so they move. And in the process, several things happen. On the one hand, their thought matures and crystallizes. The more argument there was, the more they tried to find reasons to support their point of view. And the more formulations uh, are formed which are compatible with the views of the one who was perhaps their closest friend, but who is undergoing the same process in his or her moving away from them. And gradually, the formulations become hardened, crystallized. They are supported by quotations, of course. They are supported by the views of people, respected by the ones and the others. And they become, in themselves, a face complete. At times, these formulations are very complex, rooted in the philosophy of the time. This is what has happened very often, very much, between Roman Catholicism and Orthodoxy. At times, the formulations are different because the language is different, because the same words do not mean the same thing. And there are other ways in which the formulations connect with the philosophy of the time. And then the philosophy takes over from the direct personal experience of the believer. And so the two friends, the two who are one in faith and have broken their link and their unity part more and more from each other. And in the process, the bitterness, the anger that separated them grows thinner, less. And a moment comes when they begin to think of their friends, from whom they have parted at times so sharply, so violently, with such cruelty, insensitively, is remembered as a person, is remembered someone whom they loved, whom they admired, as long as they did not argue about philosophy or theology. And they begin to see that they had more in common than they imagined. And they ask themselves, has this process taken place also 
for my friend, does he also think of me with new warmth, trying to remember what united us and not what separated us? And a moment comes when the two friends turn around and look into the distance. And they see in the distance a shapeless form. It was a, their friend, but they are too far for them to discern features. And then the memory of old friendship and curiosity and interest prompts them to move towards one another in the hope to meet again and to ask one another, what have you become since we have parted? What have you learned about God, about yourself, about the created world, about all the things that we had in common and which have estranged us from each other? And as they move towards one another, this shapeless form begins to acquire a, a shape. They begin to discern a person. They come nearer. And then, looking at the features, they see, yes, it is a friend whom I have loved so much, with whom I had so much in common. But he has aged, has changed. What has changed? What are these marks on his or her face? face? Is it evil that has marked it? Or is it torment? Or is it deep thought that has marked this forehead, changed the expression of eyes that were young and brilliant into eyes that are now deep and quiet? has changed an expression of assertiveness that was the cause of our separation into expectation, into a warm expectation. And then they come and face one another, and if they ask the right question, there is a possibility of coming together. And the question is, what have you learned about God? about yourself, about life, about the church, since we have parted. Not what you have invented, what formulation, not what formulations have you coined, but what have you learned at the very depth of your being about the things that are absolutely essential, God himself, you, in connection with him, your own depths and life and a created world and its tragic destinies in which separatedness, enmity coincide, live together with sacrificial love, with the sacrificial love of the Son of God and of those who are the saints of these separated groups. We think very often in terms of separation and many, many years ago I was very surprised when the same Professor Zander wrote a book
in which he shows in parallel the sanctity of St. Francis of Assisi and Seraphim of Sarov. And when you look at the different saints of East and West, how often we find that they have so much in common, not obligatory in, in their theology, if they express themselves in theological forms, but in their knowledge of God, in their faith in God, in their faithfulness to God. And so that is where I think we are gradually moving towards the point where we say, yes, we have parted at a moment when we were in search, when we were asking questions, we were giving answers that could at times be incompatible with one another because they were rooted in different experiences, in different languages, in different philosophies. Now we have begun to understand one another language. Now we have become to understand that the various philosophies which entranced our ancestors were only human attempts at understand, but there was something greater, God's revelation and life in God. And we can begin to talk on that level. What have you learned about God, about yourself, about the world God has created, about the mystery of salvation, about the horror of sin, about the desperate situation of separatedness of people for whom Christ gave his life. He died for me, he died for you, and we are killing one another. Or perhaps not always with a knife or with a gun, but with a word. In our heart, you are dead, and I am dead in yours. Is that compatible with the faith we have in Christ, in a God who has become man, lived, taught, suffered, died for each of us? And so we are in a period now, oh, it may be the beginning of it, when this is a question that comes to the fore. The philosophies of the past we can still consider, but not take them as the root and the rule of our faith. The logic which we used in the past may be replaced by another logic, God's own logic, God's own vision of things, the way he presents things, he conveys them to us. Mutual love, mutual respect, at times mutual admiration. When we forget that we are separated by formulations 
and meet a person without asking questions. Simply a person is a person. We may discover such depths of truth and reality in him or in her. This is what we must do more and more between ourselves because we are all separated more or less from each other by lack of communion with God and communion with one another in God but also with others outside. Can one say that it's only those who share our creed, our views, who are God's own people? We can't. When we look at the lives of people around us, we can only say that so many people who do not share our views or our convictions live a life which is more worthy of God than our own. I'm speaking for myself, I'm not insulting you, but I doubt that any one of us would dare say that we live up to the God whom we proclaim and we worship him not only in words and gesture, in liturgical ceremonial, but through all our actions in life and our feelings. I have quoted to you already an officer of ours during the war who came out six times out of a protected corner to bring back soldiers that had been wounded. He was brought to us, I was then um, a military surgeon. He was brought to us, pierced through by bullets. He was not an orthodox. But could I look at him and say, ha, a heretic? No. He was a man who had learned from Christ what Christ stands for, what Christ is. To love to the point of giving one's life and one's death for another to be saved. And this that I'm saying about our Christian brothers can apply, I have no time to go into various denominations and examples, but applies also to people outside. I have quoted to you already a conversation I have had with Vladimir Lorsky. When I was very young, he said to me that true knowledge of God is possible only in orthodoxy. I didn't feel that way because my context was different. I had lived among people who were not orthodox more than among orthodox. I had come to the church late. I had admired and loved people who were strangers to orthodoxy. But I couldn't argue with him. He was him and I was nothing. But I went home and I took the book of the Upanishads, the oldest religious writing of India, copied eight quotations from it and came back. Uh, he has forgiven me for 
the deception, came back to him and said, when I read the Fathers, I always copy passages that impress me particularly and put the name of the author at the end. Here are eight quotations and I have forgotten to put the names down. Could you recognize who the Orthodox Fathers are who wrote these things? He took my sheet of paper and within two minutes he had put the names of the greatest spiritual guides of Orthodoxy. St. Basil the Great, St. John Chrysostom, St. Simeon the New Theologian, and so forth. And when he had done it, I said, Vladimir Nikolaevich, this is the Upanishad. And he looked at me and said, I never knew that. I must read them and change my attitude. And I gave you already in past also an example about this young uh, uh, officer who came up to me and said that he was an unbeliever. And I said, it's your loss. And what have I got in common with God that I should be interested in him? Not to speak of believing in him. And I said, do you believe in anything? He said, yes, I believe in men. He said, that you have in common with God. And God believes in men far beyond your belief. Because he created men. Because he loved men before he existed. He became men to save us when we had fallen away. He died on the cross to save us. That is the way in which God is concerned with men and loves men. What about you? He looked at me and said, I have never thought of that. I must go and think. I don't know what happened to him. But here was a man who had in common with God something absolutely essential. Because to believe in men to the point of giving one's life as the, this officer whom I have quoted, or devoted one's life to the service of men is concerned, as this other uh, young officer was concerned, makes you partaker of the mystery of faith. But we can go, I will detain you a little bit more than habitual, we can go also beyond this point, and I will not be able to enlarge sufficiently, but I want to indicate a few things. If it is true, what I said in the beginning, that when the fall occurred, the world that preceded the fall disappeared from the experience and to a great extent from the awareness and understanding of men. The world in which we live is no longer the world of full glorious light that it was. I have said far too often that we live in a twilight. No. When men try to remember what happened before, Adam and Eve 
where they found themselves on an earth that was no longer paradise. How often did they try to remember what it was to be in a world that knew no sin, that was totally in communion with God, in which God himself was life and reality. They tried to remember, to describe it to themselves, not to forget, to hand it over to their children and from generation to generation to others. But the memories faded. What was a hesitant memory for Adam and Eve became the reminiscence of what Adam and Eve had said to others. And gradually, the clarity, the absoluteness of vision that had disappeared even in them became more and more darkened. But there is an old, old saying, nature does not um, put up with emptiness. Whenever there was no way of remembering, when there was a gap that needed understanding, people began to fill the gap, not with invention, but with an attempt at imagining what had happened. And if you read the content of the ancient religions of mankind, perhaps Mesopotamia more because it's a place from which Abraham uh, came to discover God, you will discover that so much is made of glimpses of truth which are carried as wood is carried by the water by connecting imaginations. These connecting imaginations may be right or wrong, but there are still elements of truth that are floating there. And at times, of a sudden, someone appears who has somehow a perception which was lost by others. I have quoted uh, to you last time, I think, an Egyptian um, king who felt that God could not be named or represented in any way. And he said that the only image of God that could be acceptable was to say that he is like the sun. He believed in a God that was inexpressible but not unknowable. After his death, it was forgotten. But a moment, more than 2,000 years before Christ, an Egyptian pharaoh had perceived that. I have quoted to you also a tribe of Siberia who has disappeared since the Middle Ages, in whom they felt 
that one could not give a name to God because God was too holy. And when they wanted to mention him, they stopped and raised a hand to heaven to signify it is him whose name we do not know and whom we would not even dare pronounce if we knew it. And the same is true at times about philosophies or views that seem to us so alien to Christianity, to the Gospel, even to the Old Testament. Because there is a grain of truth or there is a little truth here and there or a lot of it which is framed in imaginations or attempts at explaining things. So we are in a period when we can look at our Christian brothers and sisters and say we belong together, we believe in the same God, one in the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We have spoken of these three persons in human, I was about to say debased terms, debased compared to God himself. And that has separated us. Let us talk less and live more. Be with God at one. Live in God. Live for God. And gradually our unity will be achieved not on the level of intellectual but on the level of knowledge and life. But when we look around at the non-Christian religions we must also instead of trying to find out what is wrong in them we must look and say what is there which is true knowledge of God which is expressed in ways that depend on their culture or the lack of knowledge of so many incidents what is there that makes us brothers in a God who for them has no name and for us also because when we say that God is one in the Trinity, we don't name him. He's like the sun, unknowable. The Father spoke of the Son of God as being the light that brings into, makes visible everything. And the Spirit as a world that pervades and transfigures everything. But that's as far as we can go. We, with the knowledge of God which we have. No, we can go beyond that. We can go beyond that if we accept, on the one hand, our lack of intellectual ability to express the inexpressible, and our vocation to live according to the gospel, to be worthy of God, to be at one with him in everything he has taught us. 
so that by living according to his will we become akin to him and from within this kinship we begin to understand and know him in a way in which we didn't know him before. I will stop my talk at this point and if um, I don't change my mind I will conclude next time uh, this series of talks by saying something about certainty and the way in which we can live by and learn certainty concerning God, concerning ourselves, concerning our neighbor, concerning the world he has created. Live in a certainty which is God himself. Shall we keep quiet for a moment and then pray? O oh Lord, I know not what to ask of thee, thou alone knowest what are my true needs. Thou lovest me more that I know how to love even myself. Help me to see my real needs which are concealed from me. I dare not ask either a cross or consolation. I can only wait on thee. My heart is open to thee. Visit and help me for thy name's sake. Raise me up and heal me. I worship in silence the holy will, then inscrutable ways. I offer myself as a sacrifice unto thee. I have no other desire than to fulfill thy will. Teach me how to pray. Pray thou thyself in me. Now that the day has come to a close, I thank thee, O Lord, and entreat that the evening with the night may be without offense. Grant this to me, O Savior, and save me. Glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now that the day, the day has passed, I sing thy glory, O Master, and entreat that the evening with the night may be without offense. Grant this to me, O Savior, and save me. Now that the day has run its course, I praise thee, O Holy One, and entreat that the evening with the night may be undisturbed. Grant this to me, 
O Savior, and save me. O Lord, deprive me not of thy heavenly blessings. O Lord, deliver me from eternal torments. O Lord, I have sinned in mind, in thought, in word, in deed. Forgive me. O Lord, deliver me from ignorance and heedlessness, from littleness of soul and stony hardness of heart. O Lord, deliver me from every temptation. O Lord, enlighten my heart, which evil desire has darkened. O Lord, I, being man, have sinned. Do Thou, being God, in loving kindness forgive me, for Thou knowest the weakness of my soul. O Lord, send Thou Thy grace to help me, that I may glorify Thy holy name. O Lord Jesus Christ, enroll me Thy servant in the book of life, and grant me a blessed end. O Lord my God, even if I have done nothing good in thy sight, grant me, according to thy grace, to make a beginning of good. O Lord, sprinkle on my heart the dew of thy grace. O Lord of heaven and earth, remember me thy sinful servant, cold of heart and impure in thy kingdom. O Lord, Receive me in repentance. O Lord, leave me not. O Lord, let me not fall into temptation. O Lord, grant me thought of good. O Lord, grant me tears, a remembrance of death, and a sense of peace. O Lord, grant me mindfulness to recognize and confess my sins. O Lord, grant me humility chastity and obedience. O Lord, grant me endurance, greatness of heart and gentleness. O Lord, plant in me the root of all blessings, the fear of Thee in my heart. O Lord, vouchsafe that I may love Thee with all my heart and soul, and in all things fulfill Thy will. O Lord, shield me from evil men and devils and passions and all other unlawful things. O Lord, Thou knowest Thy creation and what Thou hast will for it. May Thy will also be fulfilled in me, a sinner. Blessed art Thou forevermore. Most glorious, ever-Virgin Mother of Christ, our God, bring our prayer unto Thy Son, our God, that by Thee He may save our souls. All my hope I lay upon Thee, O Mother of God. Preserve me beneath Thy protection. O Virgin Mother of God, despise me not a sinner who seek Thy help and thy intercession. In thee hath my soul hoped. Have mercy upon me. 
O Father, da art my hope. O Son, da art my refuge. O Holy Spirit, da art my protection. O Holy Trinity, glory be to Thee. Communion of the Holy Spirit be and remain with us always. 